I'm Father Dwight Longenecker. Thank you for listening to More Christianity. More Christianity is the book I've written to share the Catholic faith with evangelical Christians. You might know that I was brought up in an evangelical home, and I have a passion to share the fact that Catholicism is not something different, it's something more. And so we go through the different doctrines of the Catholic faith and explain them to evangelicals in a friendly way, not saying, we're right, you're wrong, but affirming everything which is good about their sincere devotion to Jesus Christ, but summoning them to come further up and further in and to share in the fullness of the Christian faith in the Catholic Church. More Christianity is available to purchase from my website, DwightLongenecker.com. Go there and look for that and take a minute to browse my other books as well. And now, let's get started with more Christianity. Welcome to More Christianity. I'm Father Dwight Longenecker. This is the program where we explore the fullness of the Christian faith in the Catholic Church. Every week I have a different guest, sometimes a blogger, a writer, an author, an architect, musician. We talk about all the different aspects of the Catholic faith and how it affects culture, how it affects our lives, and how it leads us further and closer to God. The title, More Christianity, is also the title of one of my books, More Christianity is a pun on the famous book by C.S. Lewis, who's one of my mentors and one of my great inspirations. His book was called Mere Christianity, and More Christianity is a book that explains the Catholic faith to evangelical Christians in a friendly, a non-threatening way. My guest today is also a, a traveler from evangelical Christianity to the fullness of the faith, He's a fellow blogger of mine at Pathios, also a prolific author and entertaining and and, uh, lively speaker, and that is blogger and writer Mark Shea. Mark, welcome to More Christianity. Hello. You're way over there in Seattle. I'm talking from Greenville, South Carolina, which is a Christian part of the country. What do you say about that West Coast person? (laughs) Well, Seattle has the distinction of being the least churched city and the least churched state in the nation. So, uh, you know, there's an achievement for you. My diagnosis wasn't wrong then, that South Carolina is exactly the opposite. It is the most churched state in the Union, I should think. <laughs> Same planet, different world. Seattle is, um, it's always been this way. The, the, the joke in the, in the 30s was uh, the, the 47 states and the Soviet of Washington. So that gives you something of a sense of what it's like to live here. Being Catholic in Seattle is like being an exotic hottentot. It's, uh, it's... <laughs> It's like you're from another world, you know, people don't even know what to do with you. It's not too dissimilar from South Carolina, where Catholics are a minority. We're only about 3 or 4% of the population, but the rest of the population are strongly Southern Baptist and fundamentalists. They love the Lord Jesus, but they're not too sure about Catholics. I want to ask you about your story. You're a convert. Where did you start out? Uh, I started out nothing. I was not raised in a, a church-going household. I, I probably darkened the door of a church about 10 times. My uh, family was not unbelieving, but it was God was a Republican. He saw other people, and you saw other people, and I didn't pray because I thought that was sort of like going on the dole. It was like asking for a handout. So I never disbelieved in God when I was growing up. I never thought about him either. He was just kind of there in the background. He was, he, was, he was the unknown God. When did you begin thinking it through? Well, I really started thinking it through in college. My own capacity for evil was part of the problem. And I also, about the same time, was introduced to some Christians who I could take seriously. 
And so actually I read Mere Christianity, among other things, and that was a huge help. C.S. Lewis was a, was a big help for me and became a believer when I was then in college, about 20 years old, and joined this little non-denominational evangelical church. And I was in that church for several years. And then eventually kind of started to hit hard pain to realize the roots couldn't get down any further. There were questions I had that this small group of recent college graduates who had been Christian for a total of about five years themselves just couldn't answer. And so started looking further afield, began reading the great G.K. Chesterton, began to realize the claims of the Catholic Church were really solid and so became a Catholic in December of 1987. By that time, were you married? Did you have a family, or did you do this on your own? Yeah, actually, I was married in December of uh, 1983, and in fact, my wife baptized me, because the church that I went to didn't practice baptism. And so eventually, I started to realize, I think I need to be baptized. was talking about this with my then fiancé, and she said, well, I'll baptize you. I said, okay. So she... (laughs) <laughs> she baptized me. So went several years as a baptized Christian after that, and then entered the church in 87. So I wound up being conditionally baptized because there was, no, of course, no record of my baptism. And so they were not sure if it was valid or whatever. So I received conditional baptism, which sort of met the funny position of I was both baptized conditionally, but also they heard my confession because my first baptism might have been valid and I might have committed a bunch of sins since the time I had been baptized in 1983. So uh, received five out of the seven sacraments. You know, when I was ordained as a married Catholic priest, I was a chaplain in a high school at the time, and some of the students there were quite intrigued by the idea that I was one of the few people that they would ever get to meet who would be able to receive all seven sacraments. You had five in one day. I don't think I had them all in one day, but I might one day receive the last rites and finish the hat trick, I guess. Mark, you're now pretty well known as a blogger and writer. You're full time working full-time in media. How did you get started yeah. in, in doing all that? Really by accident. I did not have some sort of life plan. So I wrote when I was in high school and wrote for a school newspaper and so forth. Got my degree in English, and but figured that that was basically never going to go anywhere. Well, as it turned out, almost the moment I was received into the Catholic Church, and I chalked this up to the Sacrament of Confirmation, I started writing about the faith, because I was interested in it. I was learning new things all the time, and when I learn new stuff, my impulse has always been to turn around and tell somebody else about it. So I wrote a little book called This Is My Body, that was aimed to explain the church's teaching on the real presence in the Eucharist and why it was compatible with Scripture and, and, and so forth. It started as a letter to Peter Kraft, with whom I had corresponded, a philosophy prophet at Boston College. And uh, it got bigger and bigger and bigger by the time it was done. It had turned out to be the manuscript of this book, which was not something I planned. So I sent that to Christendom College, and they eventually published it. Meanwhile, I started writing other articles for outfits like uh, New Oxford Review and so forth. And then I made the startling discovery that not only would people publish what I wrote, but they would even pay me, which was like a bonus because I was just doing it out of sort of amateur love for the faith. 
you know, that was a huge help as a, as a young married dad with a couple of kids and more on the way and so forth. So I just started doing it and people liked what I wrote. And so I kept doing it. And eventually I was asked by Scott Hahn to work with him creating Bible study materials for uh, CatholicExchange.com. It just kind of snowballed from there. It's exciting to see the Spirit actually working like that. We, we believe in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and, and God actually working in our lives. And, and when he actually does, uh-huh. we kind of say, hey, I think that was God doing that, because I certainly didn't try it. <laughs> I've always chalked it up to the, to the sacrament of confirmation. That's what confirmation does. You're confirmed, and the gifts that God has given you to fulfill the call that he's put on you start to manifest, and that started to manifest almost immediately. Mm-hmm. So you spend a lot of time blogging. Your blog is called Catholic and Enjoying It. What's your strap line? Something like, so that no thought of mine will ever go unpublished or something like that. Yeah. And so, so that no thought of mine, no matter how stupid, will ever go unpublished That's again. the one. That's the one. So uh, did, you began blogging on your own when blogging first got started. How, how did the blog start up? Oh, well, the blog started up as a result of several things. Uh, one is... I am an extrovert trapped in an introvert's job. So being a writer means sitting in a room all day. That's what you do as a writer. The thing is, is that I would very much rather be out talking to people. Mm -hmm. And what I discovered was there was this thing called blogging, where you, A, you wrote, so I was doing that, but B, you wrote interactively. You're talking to people. Uh, people are commenting on your, uh, on your blog, and you can, you, there's a lot of back and forth, and people send you questions, and, and you have a conversation with people. And the other thing that was going on at the time, this was in uh, April of 2002, was that the pre-scandal had just begun to break, and I began to realize no one's going to listen to priests because they're all going to be guilty in the eyes of the media and therefore in the eyes of the public. And I thought somebody needs to be able to articulate what the church teaches, who's not going to just get swatted down because he happens to have a collar on. So I thought, well, that's something I could do. I can defend the, the faith. I could talk about the faith to a public that was at that moment particularly very hostile to the faith. And you're doing a very good job. Is the blog continuing to grow and expand in your readership? Yeah, the blog has uh, grown. I, I started uh, blogging for Patheos, and the readership has gone steadily up, thanks be to God. And basically what I just try to do on that blog is comment on what's going on in our civilization from a Catholic perspective. You're listening to More Christianity. I'm Father Dwight Longenecker. My guest today is blogger and author Mark Shea. Mark, you were talking about your blog, which is called Catholic and Enjoying It. It's found on the Pathios uh, website. You're talking about the expanded reach that you have and trying to expand uh, and explain the Catholic faith in our in our culture. That's naturally going to lead you to some pretty controversial opinions from time to time. Tell me about the the controversy that's engendered in your blog. What sort of stance have you taken, do you think, which has uh, gotten you the most hits, not only in people visiting your blog, but also the most hits from people who disagree with you? Well, it it really depends. My attitude is very simple. I believe all that the Holy Catholic Church believes, teaches, and proclaims is revealed by God. That's like the big mystery behind all of my opinions. So the problem, of course, is that the Church is always at cross-purposes uh, with human politics and ideology. So on the one hand, you will find that the Church is, of course, 
uh, adamantly opposed to abortion, and I am adamantly opposed to abortion. And this is traditionally seen as a right-wing position in American politics. The church is also adamantly opposed to torture, and therefore I am adamantly opposed to torture. This is seen as a liberal position. So this puts me at odds with, uh, you know, uh, on the one hand, I'm, a, I'm opposed to uh, abortion. I'm an adamant defender of the Catholic faith. Conservative Catholics love that. Uh, but I've also criticized uh, support for things like torture, and this has been greatly offensive. And I've said other things that were offensive to somebody's politics. You've offended some Americans who would consider themselves to be good, God-fearing, flag-waving Americans who are right. patriotic, love their country, and if we have to use extreme measures sometimes to knock these terrorists on the head, then so be it. And you've, right. and you've called them on that. Right. The, the church says, no, you can't do that. Uh, the church says that torture is gravely and intrinsically immoral. So essentially, what I try to do is I try to hold the American experiment to the canons of the church's teaching rather than try to square the canons of the church's teaching to what someone's favorite political movement happens, happens you, to prefer. Have you spoken about the immigration issue? Not too much. I think that the attitude of the church, uh, of the church there is not super mysterious. Take care of the alien, the orphan, and the widow. So, you know, when it comes to immigration, the main question that the church looks at is what is the human need on the ground here? Not, have you filled out your paperwork for Caesar? The paperwork for Caesar is important for keeping order and, and so forth, but far more important is the human person. And so anybody that comes to the door of a Catholic church looking for help will find that help at a Catholic church. They're going to get food. They'll get help in some way. Mm -hmm. And I think that this should be the Catholic response first. I need to clarify the church's position because it is actually very balanced. It is true that people have a right to immigrate to the country of their choice, but at the same time, the Catholic Church teaches that uh, in balance to that, independent countries have the right to secure their borders, to make sure that the people who are coming in do so legally and that they settle in the country legally, that they have access to that country's services in a responsible and in a legal way. So these two rights are balanced. The right of the person to immigrate is balanced by the right of the, the, the welcoming country to make sure that they do so properly. Let's move on, Mark, to some of the bigger issues behind the controversy that you sometimes stir up in your blog. In reading your blog, I can't help thinking that sometimes, you know, you're doing it on purpose. And as you know, I've supported you sometimes when the heat in the kitchen's going up. Um, and I appreciate that. But, you know, the other thing is there's another issue here behind all of this. What part do you think a blogger, a journalist, a writer who's taking a Catholic position – what responsibility do we have to actually to stir the pot sometimes, you know, to be a controversialist, if not set out to offend people, say things that we know will offend them? I think that it is important as long as you are defending a gospel value. I think just ticking people off for the sake of ticking people off, that's a waste of time. And, you know, there are whole classes of quote-unquote artists that that's kind of all they do. You know, Lady Gaga, what does she do? Well, she goes around shocking people, you know, and she's sort of a Madonna wannabe who also just sort of went around randomly shocking people just for the sake of shocking people and therefore generating press about themselves. I think all of that is a waste of time. 
but I think that when we challenge comfortable and easy assumptions with what the church actually says, that's really important. This is something that Jesus, the apostles, the prophets routinely do. I'm reminded of the saying that the gospel is only good news when it's subversive. One of the things you can do as a layman is also to criticize and to bring gospel values to a critique of the church. I have a Mm -hmm. solemn promise in my own writing, in my own work, that I never criticize in public a fellow Catholic priest. Sometimes Mm -hmm. I've stumbled stumbled and fallen on that one, (laughs) but Uh it's one of my ideals. On the other hand, what role do you think that the laity have, a person like yourself, an outspoken layman, with a blog and with a, a national audience, what role do you do you have, do you think, to criticize the church at times? Is that something well, you need to do? I think there are moments when it's important. I tend to assume that it's not nearly as important as lots of other people do. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I run into all the time is the assumption, very common in cyberspace, that our bishops could be safely ignored on almost anything that isn't like a matter of absolute dogma where the church is compelling you. I think that that's a very dodgy position for lay people to take. I think far more important is for us to listen to the magisterium first, particularly when the magisterium is saying something that offends us, rather than just blow it off if it bothers us. What you're saying is, that when the gospel or the teaching of the church gets us annoyed, gets our back up, offends us, that's especially when we should be listening. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Chesterton said that, that the Catholic Church is the only thing that saves a person from the degrading slavery of being a child of his age. And <laughs> we all belong to little tribes and cliques and, and political groups that have our favorite shibboleths, that have our favorite things that we really like to hear the church tell us how right we are. But we don't like to hear the church where the church says things like, for example, Archbishop Chaput a while back gave a speech in which he very bluntly said, if you neglect the poor, you will go to hell. Mm -hmm. We don't want to hear stuff like that. And the way we deal with those things is we say prudential judgment means you don't have to pay any attention to what the bishop is telling you. This is just a prudential judgment. You can ignore them. The same trick is played by making the appeal to something called primacy of conscience. So primacy of conscience means that I don't have to pay any attention to the church about contraception, abortion, the pelvic issues, gay marriage, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Actually, you know what? Uh, Your primacy of conscience doesn't mean that you get to blow off the church whenever the church is saying something you don't happen to like. Our first duty as Catholics is to learn from the church and to, and to ask ourselves, why does the church ask such difficult things from us? And, so, and for many people, things that seem so counterintuitive. This is More Christianity. My guest today is Mark Shea, blogger and author. I'm Father Dwight Longenecker. Mark, one of the things that I've been focusing on recently on my blog is what's killing the American Catholic Church. And one of the things which is killing Christianity in America generally is just what you've said an unwillingness to confront the real issues, the hard issues, and an overwillingness to soothe people into a kind of sweet, sentimental version of Christianity in which Jesus right. is kind of like the all-American boy that you'd hope would take your daughter to the prom. You know, yeah. and, and so this is the kind of American Catholicism, American Christianity, which 
the gospel needs to criticize, and this is exactly where the gospel should be preached when it's difficult and, and makes us feel uncomfortable. Because you're ordained, you're in a very different position from me. Your task is to deliver the tradition. My task as a layperson is to receive that tradition and to live it. Obviously, you have to receive it and live it too. But your particular task as a priest is to really preach the fullness of that. My task as a layperson is to tell my fellow laypeople, listen to the church, don't just blow it off. The church is going to ask you to do things that are really hard and offensive. For example, I think the single most difficult thing that the gospel demands of us is to forgive and love your enemies. Who wants to do that? Exactly. (laughs) I hate doing that. Everybody hates doing that. But this is what the gospel calls us to do. And we have all kinds of strategies for trying to avoid that as lay people. It's exactly where the church challenges us on the stuff that we really don't want to hear, that we really need to listen. The gospel is doing us the biggest favor when it's telling us that we're sinners, which is the thing we don't want to hear. And this is one of the things that you discover is that, you know, when you're doing apologetics on behalf of the faith, there's a certain soothing quality to apologetics if you happen to be a Catholic, because what is apologetics doing? Apologetics is saying to people who are not Catholic, you know, the Catholics are actually right about this stuff. Well, I love hearing that. I love hearing that I'm right. But when the gospel then turns to us as Catholics and says, you know, you're wrong here, you're out of line, you need to repent, Uh, you've sinned. I don't want to hear that part. Give me some more apologetics, (laughs) because I really love hearing that stuff about how right I am. And so that's the tension that we live in as Catholics, is on the one hand, the gospel exalts our dignity as human beings, but on the other hand, it rebukes us as sinners uh, and calls us on to something harder and higher. Mark Shea is my guest today on More Christianity. I'm Father Dwight Longenecker. Mark is a convert to the Catholic faith. He's a well-known blogger at Pathios with his blog, Catholic and Enjoying It. He's also the author of several books about the Catholic faith, explaining the Catholic faith and arguing for the truth and goodness of our Catholic religion. Mark, please tell our listeners where they can find you, your website, and how to go over to your blog. Uh, my website is uh, Mark dash shea.com and if you google my name mark shea s-h-e-a like the stadium you will find both my website and you'll also find my pathos blog catholic and enjoying it you've already mentioned that c.s lewis has been a big inspiration in your life and that uh, g.k chesterton was one of the great writers to lead you into the catholic church chesterton continues to be loved and, and read and his reputation is growing now again around the world Fading into obscurity a little bit is this fellow called Hilaire Belloc. Have you read much of Belloc? I have not read much of Belloc except for some of his uh, more hilarious verse. I've memorized uh, Rebecca, who slammed doors and perished miserably. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> he, wrote, he wrote these wonderful uh, cautionary tales poems about uh, children who do naughty things and then <laughs> yes, horrible fate. <laughs> who like Matilda, who told lies and was burned to death, and Jim, who ran away from his nurse and was eaten by a lion, and 
They're wonderful, wonderful poems. In addition to his cautionary tales that you just mentioned, he was also a well-known essayist and writer mm-hmm. uh, at the same time as Chesterton, very good friends with Chesterton. In, in fact, George Bernard Shaw dubbed them the Chester Belloc and, and invented yeah. this this strange beast, which was the two of them merged together. And sometimes Belloc could be bellicose, if you don't mind the pun, and yes. uh, stir things up and, and was a controversialist. Uh, that's why I've sometimes in jokingly referred to you um, amongst our, our friends as the, the um, Hilaire Belloc of our days. Um, <laughs> do you feel that Belloc's controversy that he was engaged in, was it worth it in the end? There's a reason Chesterton loved him. You know, he brought another aspect to the fight for the faith, particularly in in a pretty anti-Catholic England. He ran for Parliament Point, and there was hostility to him because he was a Catholic, and and he basically stood up in front of this crowd of people and said, "Uh, here's my rosary, I tell these beads every day. If you have a problem with that, then it will be an honor not to serve as your... Member of Parliament. Your MP, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I got to love that, you know. I think he was a more ira- much more irascible character than Chesterton was. Everybody loved Chesterton. He was, you know, Chesterton jokes about uh, Francis as the, the man who could not get killed. And there was something of that quality to Chesterton, too. Belloc, I think, would have happily been burned at the stake for the faith. Chesterton was the dog wagging a tail, and, and Belloc was the bite, I think, sometimes. Yeah, I think so. But Belloc, uh, he wrote brilliant books like The Servile State, you know, which is <laughs> as preceded an analysis of, of what's going on in the United States right now as you could possibly ask for. Mark Shea is my guest today on More Christianity. I'm Father Dwight Longenecker. Mark is a convert to the Catholic faith. He's a well-known blogger at Pathios with his blog, Catholic and Enjoying It. He's also the author of several books about the Catholic faith, explaining the Catholic faith and uh, arguing for the truth of our Catholic faith. Mark, please tell our listeners where they can find you, your website, and how to go over to your blog. My website is mark-shea.com. And if you Google my name, Mark Shea, S-H-E-A, like the stadium, you will find both my website and you'll also find my Pathios blog, Catholic and Enjoying It. I'm Father Dwight Longenecker. This is More Christianity. Thank you for listening. I want to take a moment and remind our listeners about my blog, Standing on My Head. It's called Standing on My Head in reference to a quote by G.K. Chesterton that a scene is very often more clearly seen when it is seen upside down. And so I write about current events, church matters, things in the Church of England, things in the Catholic Church, and try to stand them on their head so that we have a gospel perspective. So go to my blog, Standing on My Head, and read it every day, bookmark it, and come and visit me there. Have you read my book, Catholicism, Pure and Simple? What I've tried to do in Catholicism Pure and Simple is write an introduction to the Catholic faith, beginning with arguments for God and moving right through to Jesus, the Holy Spirit, the Church, the sacraments, so that anybody can pick it up and have a refresher in their Catholic faith. If you'd like to learn more about Catholicism Pure and Simple, you can look for it on my website, DwightLongenecker.com. Just go there, click through, and you can buy a hard copy, and also it's available as an ebook. <laughs> 